You just need to be passionate and understand your story and how it might resonate with your audience and share that. Um, so, G'day and welcome to episode 41 of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Lalive, and today's episode is coming to you from the back of my ute in Bulligal in western New South Wales. We uh, had a slight change of schedule and today's episode, which was due to come out, will come out in a few weeks. So today I'm bringing you Heidi Wright. She's the CEO and founder of Wright Social. And I followed Heidi's work fairly closely over the last 12 months. I was fascinated to see just how quickly she adapted and was supporting ag businesses with how they communicate during COVID. Heidi's work has seen her working for the Cattle Council where she was involved there for a number of years and brought the Rising Star Award to fruition. More recently she's been working with livestock leaders and her work has been really interesting to see just the impact it's having and how young people are grabbing it by the horns and they're having a real impact for themselves. Heidi's story starts in South Australia where she wasn't actually from agriculture but she grew up in a farming community. She's the daughter of a dentist, but don't let that fool you. Her dad, he wanted a better way to support farmers control vermin. And so, he tinkered away in his shed at night. And he's the inventor of Light Force, which many people might know, being one of the leading light brands in Australia today. I hope you guys enjoy this chat. Heidi, welcome to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. Ollie, thanks so much for having us. And likewise, I've seen you out and about over the next over the last twelve months, also very active in the podcasting space. So I'm really excited about uh, joining you today. Well, I suppose just starting off, like the first thing I did uh, want to ask you, basically, it's a new year, but I'd love to know kind of what some of your key learnings were from 2020, and yeah, how I suppose as a business you guys adapted to being remote and, and not being able to get face to face with people. Sure. Yeah. Well, a big part of our role is understanding our end customer. Uh, so with Right Social, the, it's the premise, we work on the premise that Aussie farmers thrive by accessing key solutions that, you know, can make them more effective and efficient in their operations. So our business plays a role here in connecting solutions to more of the right people in ag through social media marketing. Um, so, you know, an ag business might have a solution that can help the ag industry grow stronger and more productive, but a uh, entirely lost as to how to get in front of that market. So that's where we come in, uh, increasing that visibility, generating those leads and inquiry, developing that targeted social media strategy and then executing on that strategy. So not having that direct communication or face-to-face -face liaison with our clients, but also the end user did pose challenges. However, what surprised me was the adaptability of our clients to actually adopt what we're on right now, Ollie, Zoom, you know, this online channel for communication to be able to stay in touch with myself as their social media uh, partner. And in terms of, I suppose, the, the businesses you work with, like, are, they, are some of these ag businesses dealing with, say, like the consumer end and that consumer marketing, or is it all very much rural, regional, yeah, farmers are, are the kind of key customer? It's a cross-section. So we do B2C and B2B. 
Um, an example would be, say, Ceristag. Uh, they're an ag tech startup. Uh, they came to us needing a way to educate their market about the potential benefits uh, of their smart ear tag. So this ear tag, it's a direct-to-satellite uh, tag. It's a world-first innovation, and it aims to empower or I guess enable producers to monitor all aspects of animal behaviour, uh, also animal health and animal welfare. Um, so for these guys, yes, they're talking to um, the end producer, but they're also talking to third party software providers. Um, so each business is going to have more than just one type of persona uh, or customer type. And it's up to us to sort of work out, well, who, who that customer is, who is that persona and who are we targeting? So I'd say it's not one or the other, um, Ollie, um, but certainly, you know, what's exciting about working in the space is coming across organisations like Ceres Tag, you know, huge opportunity um, for them uh, to make a global impact in the way that uh, their uh, tag helps producers sort of globally. And for us to be that vehicle in establishing that initial messaging, developing those stories and getting in front of cattle producers has been really rewarding. Um, yeah, I must say very rewarding. Yeah, I think it's David there at Series Tag, isn't it? That's it, David Smith, yes. David Smith, yeah. And it's such an interesting space too where they're like, because he's been around for quite a few years basically developing the product in the background. And then, yeah, you, you need the customers but kind of, um, the, the software space and well, hardware as well, what they're in is such an interesting area because when it like becomes commercial and that gets that green light, you've, you've really got to go quite hard because there's a lot of time, effort and dollars go into that initial research and development before you really even get a paying customer. So, Oh, absolutely. And, you know, typically the agri-rural sector has been in the past very slow to adopt the full capabilities of social media marketing and that stems into e-commerce as well so certainly um you know this particular client they've come on early they've got their message clear and they've organized their team in a way that will ensure an effective uh, execution in terms of that e-commerce strategy yeah cool in terms of i suppose yeah so you started your own company was it back in 2013 was it about that Oh, you know, the years just fly by. So <laughs> according to Facebook, Ollie, I've been in the business for, with Right Social for about six years and they seem to know more about me than I know about myself at times. <laughs> in terms of, I suppose, that jump into to running your own business, was it something that you were, you were juggling on the side? Was it a side hustle or was it, yeah, kind of a, a point in time where you thought, I've, I've done my bit of working for other people. I'm going to go and jump into it and, and give it a proper crack. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. So I've always been interested in agriculture, but I wasn't one of those people that grew up on a farm. So I sort of felt like I was a bit of a misfit, really, at the start. So I grew up in Cleve on the Air Peninsula, um, a small farming community, and most of my class was from a farm, <laughs> except for me. I was a dentist's daughter. Um, and at that time, my dad was working on a lighting invention to better see in the dark, which is now light force. Um, so we would go really? rabbit shooting... Yeah. So on the weekends, you know, it was all about let's go to farmer's blocks and let's use this light and see what we can see and see what we can shoot. So it was really about vermin control. So that was really my introduction to, to farming. And all I knew is that I wanted to know more and I wanted to understand how a farm worked, what it was like to actively live and breathe farming. But there was that disconnect because 
you know, the only association I had on it was really visiting a farmer's block and driving around paddocks. Um, so, you know, I knew that I knew that I wanted farming to be part of my future, but I didn't exactly know what that looked like. And um, fast forward, boarding school, met a great bunch of people there in Adelaide, all from rural townships. I really synced um, with sort of that, that rural character. And then I thought, right, I'm going to try my hand finally um, uh, on what, you know, find out what it's like to, to work on a real, real property. And I heard stories of the Northern Territory, as you do. You know, when you're 17 and mean and green, all you want to do is go out there for adventure and, and, and find out what, you know, what life is all about. So I did, I headed up to Catherine Rural College and got the practical skills I needed to, uh, to earn myself a job on a cattle station. Um, and this experience, I think, really taught me about the grit, sweat, tears, the, the energy, the, the persistence, um, the sheer labour of it, Ollie, like you've, you've probably been there yourself, like when you are working in yards day in, day out, sometimes seven days a week, getting up at 5am, it gets really wearing. Um, and it certainly taught me about what was required to live that type of lifestyle. Um, but unfortunately, what I didn't see there is a career path. And, you know, it's interesting because I know I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here now. I'll come no, back to you. No, this. go for it. <laughs> Um, but you know, if I, when I reflect on that opportunity, I, I, I did love it. Like it, it did give me a, a sense of, um, a sense of self in that way in proving out that I could actually, you know, work on a cattle station because it's a 30,000 head Brahmin cattle station in the Gulf of Carpentier in Queensland. So it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it was a, it was a challenge for me at age 17 coming out of Catherine Rural College who knew how to ride a bike, you know, um, jump on a horse and, uh, and drive a tractor at a very base level. Um, so what, what I think was missing though is I had no clarity over what the career path was. So what was the step from being a ringer to playing a bigger role in that industry even, even if you look at it from a, the cattle industry perspective? My job was tailing wieners, drafting wieners, and you knew you were part of an important food production system, but you sort of felt like you were a cog in the wheel. And you didn't know where that wheel was going or how it was turning. Like there was no effort in communicating the bigger picture. And I think that really came down probably to the, to the station manager. Like I had an awesome head stock woman um, leading us, which was great to see back then. Um, it wasn't very common, I don't think, uh, back sort of in 2003, I think we're talking. Um, you, look, you look now at stock camps and we have equal gender and female leadership, which is fantastic. But I think, you know, what was really missed is communication from the station manager and or the person in charge to actually communicate the vision of the station. Um, you know, you had the job, that was it. You didn't really know the details of what was happening that day and what we were working towards. And so I think that's what made sort of me think, well, along with the physical labour, where is this going to? And so that's when I thought, well, maybe this is not the career path for me. So that's when I went to study uni um, or study uni. I went to uni to study a double degree in commerce and media, which has taken me to where I am now. So really converging that, uh, converging, sorry, that agricultural thirst and experience and matching that with um, communications. And so do you think, well, I've got multiple questions out of this. The first one, Hi, I'm Pia, horticulture and sugar analyst at Rabobank, and I'm here to share our latest insights on Australia's vegetable market. 
Did you know in 2023, Australia produced over $5.8 billion worth of vegetables, though only 4.3% of this was exported. Like many other countries, the Australian vegetable industry relies mostly on its domestic market. In fact, only 7% of global vegetables produced are traded between countries. But we are starting to see that trend change. Global trade is growing at a faster rate than production, and countries with low cost production are seeing the highest growth rates. You can learn more about trends in the vegetable market on our latest Rabo Research Australia podcast, Mapping World Vegetable Trade, or reach out to me via the Rabobank Australia social media channels to learn more. Do you think it was that lack of ability, nearly the people skills side of things, but like you said there, communication and how like even just articulating to the to yeah their own team on the station that really I suppose brought you in towards um, studying communication and, and this career path or was it something earlier on that kind of really interested you in how people convey and engage uh, with others? Yeah, I, I don't think I had the foresight back then to think, oh, I want to change the way people communicate because I didn't get, you know, very good communication from my superiors on a cattle station. I don't think it was like that. I've, I've always been, um, I guess, a natural communicator and I've always sort of been interested in the entrepreneurship, the marketing side of, 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 of life and, and business, um, sort of having having grown up watching, you know, my father tinker back in the back shed <laughs> while he was running a full-time <clears throat> job being a dentist in town. So I think, you know, a combination has probably uh, enabled me to bring the two together. I will say, though, my first professional role having come out of uni um, with, was with the Cattle Council of Australia and the Sheep Meat Council of Australia. And, you know, it was fascinating to witness how policy was formed by the industry for industry and then advocated to government. Um, but, you know, back then it was all about getting in front of the right people with your message and I was responsible for that. And I managed everything from talking points to the, which would go to the CEO and they would interview with the media to organising rural awareness tours for government officials. Uh, we travelled all the way up to Birdsville then onwards to Townsville and we did another one through New South Wales. Um, and then the next week I could be writing a column for Queensland Country Life and then the week after that liaising with the, you know, NFF Rural Affairs people for on media releases. Um, and I think, you know, from that experience, what I realised is that we're not utilising social media at all or very well in agriculture. And, you know, I was dealing with uh, probably a, a board of cattle councillors, oh, average age would probably be mid-60s. Um, so that really shined a light on, okay, how do we, how do we showcase our industry's value and how do we better connect with consumers through these avenues that were starting to become available back then? Like I, I still remember the article I was writing for Cattle Council. I remember thinking how much fun I'm going to have in this role. I, I get to, you know, carve out, um, some communication initiatives here with using video because social media was, was up and running then, but it wasn't really heavily used. So mm. I think that's probably where the opportunity coming out of cattle council and sheep meat council, I started to definitely see the need for, you know, helping businesses and even associations at that time, better connect that message with their end user using form formats such as social media, such as video, and not just relying on traditional media to, um, to, to drive a policy change and or communicate with the, with the beef producer on the ground. 
Yeah, it's been an interesting one, hasn't it? So that was what in the late two th- or mid to late two thousands for you, and it's it, it's funny. I feel like we're still we're still getting there, but we're certainly not there in terms of yeah how the industry really engages. Like we're like we're getting more clever. Is it? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. more aware. I like more clever, Ollie. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, what a dumb comment. Um, no, the, there's no dumb comment. In terms of, yeah, it's, it's funny though because we're still, and particularly I think, yeah, when it comes to engaging people in the industry, I think we're, yeah, we're, we're okay at that. But really now, like we're saying, it's how do we present to whether it's attracting new people into the agriculture industry or, or it is communicating, I suppose, with the broader community in terms of what, how they perceive our ag practices, for instance. And um, we, we still, and I, what fascinates me around it is it's, it's nearly a psychology or it is a psychology in terms of how you actually understand people and talk to me, talk to them in a way that they go, Oh yeah, like that makes sense. And I think, oh, yeah. hundred percent. I mean, for me, it's important that we know the ad customer before designing a social media strategy. I mean, it even comes down to a marketing sense. Um, you need to know the, the customer buying and decision-making process and then build a digital strategy that facilitates it. Um, and it means knowing your audience and the personas. And I guess that's what has been really interesting to me and what seems to be quite interesting to you too, um, is, you know, it is about that psychology. It comes down to knowing who your customer is and then dialing in that message that best talk to your customer. And that could be, um, that's not just in marketing that could that translates also to where I was back uh, 15 or I don't know I, was, I won't go into the years but <laughs> when I was 17 working on you know that cattle station um, if they understood maybe where I was from and and my and the type of persona you know I'm curious I like to learn I like to see how my role is contributing to that bigger picture I mean I think everyone does I think Mm. communicating vision in an organization is critical um, in so many ways Um, but you know just even understanding the persona of your own people of your own team can help you carve that message out one of the first things we do Ollie when we meet with a new client is we run a two-hour audience analysis workshop and what that means is we get the key team together sometimes as members of the sales team even sometimes admin team and then certainly the managing director likes to join or the CEO, whoever that might be in the leadership position and we'll go through and determine their ideal target audience and really pin out who are the personas, what are their challenges, what makes them tick because then we can very much target that person um, in our communications. A technical manager of an almond farm, for example, you know, who might run 600 hectares in Vic, um, is going to face very different challenges and have different wants than a family-owned broadacre farmer and say, you know, Big North SA. So, yeah, I think psychology is definitely integral um, to a lot of things when it comes to connecting your message to that right person in ag. Yeah, for sure. And I think I probably should have really reached out to you ages ago when I was trying to start Humans of Agriculture because I, it was an interesting process that I went through there because like at the start in the first oh, what would have been six to eight months. I was actually trying to keep myself separate from it because I thought, oh, how do I create humans of agriculture essentially as nearly like an influencer, so as a brand, but as an mm. influencer of its own. So how do, how does it walk? How does it talk? And uh, I went round and round in circles because it was a new new avenue for me, but it's a, it's a really cool space. 
Yeah, it is. No, I think you've done a great job, Ollie. I mean, I think the most important thing is people know who you are and they know your intention and they know what drives you. And then, of course, they know what they can get out of Humans of Agriculture as a podcast, as a listening tool. Mm. Now, I want to um, I want to jump back only because I was really interested there at the, at the beginning where you were talking about your dad being a dentist and then starting Light Force. But so was this something that it was just a hobby for and a passion on the side for him or was it just a correct yeah passion on the passion on the side he he loved to hunt with his grandpa uh in the adelaide hills and he's he he's loved that ever since and so he couldn't spot the rabbits or the foxes uh at night uh because of the lack of light and hence light force was born that's incredible so you've you've always i suppose grown up around entrepreneurs and innovation and so that's flowed flowed back on through to you as well well uh, i like to think so oliver i mean i don't uh, if we look at the i guess definition of um of entrepreneurship uh it's i'm just sorry i'm just looking at looking at it it now here in front of me i just have it on a little note here entrepreneurship is the creation or extraction of value with this definition, entrepreneurship is viewed as change, generally entailing risk beyond what is normally encountered in starting a business. So, you know, where I am at now in Right Social, I probably wouldn't call myself an entrepreneur because there is a real need for the service I, I deliver. But I think what I've witnessed is there's a lot of people in ag who have this entrepreneurial spark who might run their family farm but start their own contracting business or even consulting business on the side. Um, as an example, I'm currently working with a, a farmer uh, who has just packaged up his digital products and is now selling them on his own automated e-commerce store uh, that we built for him. And you wouldn't hear of that five years ago. Um, and that's opened up you know, a new business opportunity for him. And I think it's the accessibility to reach markets beyond uh, a border has been made possible with social media advertising and obviously online uh, opportunities so yeah we no longer just think what can I farm with our land uh, but how can I apply what I've learned on the farm and you know share it share it in share it with the world mm, there's a massive opportunity and I do want to ask you on this social media piece because obviously the, it's very topical in the last few days we've seen what's happened with Facebook and just like this reliance that people have in terms of yeah actually getting access to information via their social media channels. Do, do you see risks, I suppose, with businesses? Like, oh, yeah, this this whole Facebook thing. Like, ha, has that risk come out of nowhere? And, like, how, how do businesses, I suppose, overcome that risk that exists and, and manage it? So, yeah, they don't sure, basically sure, lose sure. Their there, channel. There, there has always been risk with any sort of, advertising platform that you don't own. So we don't own traditional media. We don't own radio networks. We don't own social media. Um, I have always advocated don't build your castle on borrowed real estate. E.g., social media is borrowed real estate. Why build your castle on it? Social media is a place to attract and engage, great for conversations, and then you want to convert. So in terms of convert, you want to actually own your customers' details. And so just turning that back into, I guess, where, where we fit into the social media marketing picture, we're all about lead generation. So we're generating contact details 
um, of someone who's interested in a particular ag product and then we're joining those, um, you know, that salesperson is calling that lead. Um, so it's not putting your whole business on social media and I think that's, you know, a big mistake that some businesses will make where they will see Facebook as their one and only channel. Um, it's very important to take an integrated approach to your marketing and communications. Mm, that is a very good analogy. You've got me thinking about what, I, like with even humans of agriculture, like we do have our own website, but in terms of our engagement, and I suppose, yeah, we're more information sharing. So social yeah, media well, does make thing, sense for that. But. One thing you can consider, Ollie, and you, you may consider it down the track is, you know, I'm sure there's something valuable that other people would love to learn from you. And it could be how I started a pod crash, pod crash, <laughs> how I started a podcast from scratch um, or, or how I met some great people and had some awesome conversations in the ag industry. And that could be a one page of PDF and or whatever, whatever that format is for your target market. And you can include that in your podcast at certain timings and in order to access that, listeners have to provide you their email address. And it's an exchange of value. It's not putting a carrot out and going, here, come, 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 and now I've got your contact details. Mm -hmm. It's a clear exchange of value. So they see value <clears throat> in that piece of um, writing or video or insight that you have to offer because it helps them move towards a goal or it helps them get faster or better at something, whatever that goal is for them. And they gladly provide details because, hey, they'd love to hear from you again in the future, Ollie. Mm. You're under something there, Heidi. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of thinking to do. There is, oh, there's, yeah, too much. Just a, a constant wheel running around in my head. Um, I want to ask, so obviously in the last 12 months, I've seen that you've got quite involved with, um, with the livestock leaders. And I suppose what's interesting is, so this month or the month of February, I've been focusing um, the podcast and some of our socials around the live export industry. One, I suppose, because I really wanted to understand more about it. But two, I feel like it's definitely an area of the industry which it, it, I'd say it's nearly a taboo subject and people don't want to talk about it. And so I thought, oh, well, we've got the, the platform. Let's actually have a conversation and some real conversations about it. And so I've been interested following um, the various workshops that you've been running, well, so it seems, across the country from afar but also in person how did how did that come about um with the livestock leaders yeah sure so the livestock leaders aims to identify and develop future potential advocates from within the livestock industry it's driven by the livestock collective and this program is sponsored by meat and livestock australia so this is something that i was invited to participate in as a consultant slash speaker and provide the tools and tactics and the confidence to livestock leaders. So the participants who were going through this workshop could come out feeling empowered, could come out feeling confident, could come out feeling like they could harness social media as a communication channel, not only to increase um, the voice of our industry as a collective, um, but also address some of those diff more difficult conversations that will come up when you are in an industry such as live export. So it's been a fantastic 
fantastic journey for myself. Um, I think now it is a national program. Um, I was in Brisbane last week and met uh, a fantastic group of bright minds. And these are people who recognise they have a role to play in having a positive impact in their industry. They want to step up and lead. Um, but they're maybe not sure exactly how social media can be used to go about that. So genuinely, they want to share their stories and represent their industry. Um, but yeah, potentially, you know, they, they just need that little guidance to go, well, look, this, this is an avenue that you can use. Um, here's an idea. Think about this. Uh, a really powerful way to get everyone in a room together conversing and getting some clarity around how social media can help them be that livestock leader. Yeah, it sounds like an incredible course. Have, have there been any, I suppose, light bulb moments with it? And yeah, I suppose key moments since you've been involved in that that really stand out that, yeah, the, these young people are, are really on the right track, but also to, I suppose, yeah, just things that stand out that have come from those programs. Mm, mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, <laughs> What stopped them? You know, I, can, I think about what's, what are the hurdles, what are the maybe challenges that have stopped people who are keen to share their story not share their story? And I think it comes down to a few things. Um, one would be knowledge, you know, just pure lack of knowledge as to how we can harness social media and the different tools and platforms. I mean, it can be very overwhelming when you've come... Um, from a you know full time on the ground, you're outside every day, and and now you're being encouraged to share your story through a platform such as Instagram or Twitter that <clears throat> maybe you haven't really dabbled in before. So I think knowledge is a key sort of hurdle, I guess. Um, and secondly, confidence, just having that confidence and even support um, from your peers to know that it is actually okay to not have everything a hundred percent. And to understand that your story does matter and you share what is authentic and feels good to you. You don't necessarily have to run with the industry line. You don't have to know all the facts. You just need to be passionate and understand your story and how it might resonate with your audience and share that. Um, So, you know, I think it was important for me to recognise what was holding people back so we could sort of tailor a workshop that, would not only give people the tools and tactics, but give them the motivation and the confidence to move forward with what they were learning. And do you still have people who have been involved with those courses reaching out to you or or bouncing ideas off you when it comes to the type of content that they're thinking of sharing? So the Livestock Leaders Workshops roll into an alumni group. And I believe there's 70 odd members now in this alumni and they have support networks set up such as a LinkedIn group and a Facebook group where people can reach out and share their experiences so they can gain that support. So certainly it's encouraged that the conversation continues. But there's so many great examples of the sharing and storytelling coming out of the Livestock Leaders group. No one ever changed the industry or their future by sitting on the sidelines. And these guys know that. So, you know, I've been really pleased to see the amount of activity coming from these workshops. Um, I was on uh, Kate McBride's uh, Instagram. She's a fantastic individual, New South Wales Livestock Leader. And she posted recently saying that the beauty of ag is that there are endless opportunities. Every day is different and there are a million and one paths you can go down. 
We're all different, but the one thing we have in common is we aren't afraid of a bit of hard work. And the reason that quote resonated with me, and I wanted to bring it up here with you, Ollie, on this topic, is that I think it's that same mentality. It's that growth mindset. It's the eager to learn something new, to step up and try, try new things, um, you know, that is helping the group take the ball by the horns when it comes to sharing their stories. Mm, absolutely. That's, um, it, it reminds me too of like, I suppose when it comes to, and, and to your point there around the authenticity and, and just being, I suppose, true to who you are when it is communicating your story. It was, I was really interested when I was reading recently around basically when it comes to climate change, it's how the, the people who are influencing, I suppose, the broader public have changed where it, in the early days, it was scientists standing up in front of people and saying, here's the facts, blah, blah, blah. blah. And now some of the most powerful people when it comes to conveying and, and allowing a, a, an audience to understand about climate change, some photographers out there who are actually showing how landscapes have changed through the photos that they've taken. And it, what I find interesting to that point there is it's, it's not, I suppose, becoming a tired narrative and just pushing the same old story. It's actually coming back to well, everyone's unique and everyone's story is unique. And so when it starts to whether it's someone like yourself in social media or it's a Kate McBride, everyone has a different view uh, from, from, from their own perspective, but it also starts to paint that, I suppose, collective narrative too. And, Absolutely. And can really, I suppose, yeah, grow that understanding. Oh, yeah. I found and that really that, interesting. Yeah. And, and look, you said a key word there, collective narrative. Like we all have our individual stories. Um, Emily has some key themes that sort of they promote and it's very they those key themes and i don't know them off the top of my head but you know livestock environment um people those sorts of key themes you know they're there for a reason and i think having uh the livestock leaders aligned to some of those themes is fantastic but we really need to ensure too that their individual voices are heard and that they're not afraid to use their individual voices in that um certainly the livestock collective is about presenting that collective united front but again in a way that feels good to the individuals who are who are encouraged to share their story mm, absolutely now one thing i did want to ask or chat to you about so obviously there's this draw and kind of this energy that comes with working with young people and so um reading your bio when you were with the cattle council you were involved in I suppose the, the initial stages of like really the rising champion initiative. And so I'd, mm. I'd love to know more about kind of how that came about and also, yeah, why you saw the need or I suppose the opportunity there for it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there was definitely recognition within the council that they needed to think about succession planning and who would replace the councillors in, you know, 10, 20 years time. Um, but there was no real drive behind that. And being a young person in an office of, I guess, uh, or actually the team was fairly young, but certainly the councillors weren't. I guess being a young person and being in a creative mindset too um, in that role, the idea for the Cattle Council Rising Champions initiative came up whereby I thought if we could link young people to experience what it's like coming to Canberra and to be mentored by some of these counsellors, but also to have a project that they can work on, which demonstrates their expertise to their 
um, I guess you could say mentors or people they looked up to, I thought, oh, this could actually be a really good initiative. Um, so I did put it towards the council and, uh, and the staff, of course, got behind it as well. We approached uh, NAB Agribusiness. I still remember the meeting. I brought Sam Gunn from uh, New South Wales Farmers uh, with me at the time. He was a councillor. He was the farmer voice. I was the program driver voice. And we sat there um, with, I think, uh, I'm not going to try and remember the name, but an individual up there in the agribusiness world. And, and he, he said, I love the idea. I'll back it. And I was so excited. I, I remember working like even on the weekends in the cattle council office, just trying to put this together, you know, because we were doing it from scratch. We had to get the farms, state farming organisations on board too, because ideally the young people would come through the ranks of the state farming organisations because that at that time, that's what how the structure worked in terms of coming from um, state farming, then up to national representative through the Cattle Council of Australia. So we had our first intake not shortly uh, after, and we had um, our, our Cattle Council Rising Champion come out of that, and they won, uh, I believe, if my memory serves correctly, uh, I believe a couple of days in Canberra, um, just to sort of experience what it was like to, to, to be in Canberra and and have the opportunity to contribute their ideas um, to any policy uh, development. So really, really exciting. And I think, you know, we're now seeing a lot of the Gen Ys now having a place at policy making tables there at, um, at Cattle Council. So really pleased to see that initiative going strong. Certainly that was a team effort. Yeah. Would you say that one of your, I suppose, unique or, or one of your key strengths is this ability to, I suppose, empower and build the capability of others. Like it, to me, yeah, like listening to your story, it seems like it's it's not so much about, yeah, yourself and looking at individual accolades. It's actually like, well, yeah, how do we get these people so they contribute more to the industry? Um, yeah, would you, would you say that? Yeah, I think there's definitely an element of that. I mean, I wish I had something like the livestock leaders when I was young in my career. I think that just would have helped me so much even to have that support network. And, you know, I think also back then um, it was very much, oh, am I actually uh, involved? Can I be involved in agriculture in this way because I don't have a farm? I mean, since then, yeah, dad has been able to transition the family into some agricultural holdings, which has been awesome. But certainly, you know, back then I felt a little bit out of the out of the mould. And I think now there's so many people that it, it's nearly uncommon for someone to grow up on a farm and then enter into, you know, agriculture. Like there's there's such a diverse number of people entering agriculture from different fields um, that you know, to have something like the livestock leaders to bring them together, to help them feel part of a, a family, to back each other, to support each other is just so fantastic. Yeah, no, 100% agree. And so you touch on something there, which brings me to a question, which I love asking everyone on the podcast. And so you're talking about, I suppose, the breadth and diverse opportunities there are in agriculture. And so one question I love, and it has, has actually been used in uh, in Queensland schools, which is kind of cool, but so it's if you were talking to Year Ten or Eleven students, and I suppose why I choose Year Ten is because they're at quite a key time where it's easier starting to think about all those years beyond school, and you start to I suppose think about careers and opportunities and where what avenues might lead to success. But what would be your messages to say students in Year Ten or Eleven 
uh, about the opportunities in agriculture. And I suppose on, on the back of that too, just some general life advice. Oh, that's a tricky one, Ollie. Um, look, I would say to a year 10 student, I would say agriculture is very diverse and it's a strong and forever growing sector. So one year is never going to be the same. Um, so that's probably what I would say, because if they recognise that it's not an industry that is here one day and disappears tomorrow, they can actually carve out a long-term fulfilling and rewarding career with that knowledge being understood. You know, it's a, it's a strong and vibrant sector um, and it's diverse. So plenty of opportunities uh, in terms of feeding their interests. The other one I would advise or general advice, look, I would say it's important to go through life with a growth mindset. Um, learn from your mistakes. Don't get down on yourself from mistakes. I think all too often we're held back from the fear of making mistakes or being a failure. And I see that a lot in young people when they've got high expectations of themselves. They see so many opportunities and they never some, some will never quite move forward because of that anxiety and that fear. And I think, you know, it's really important that we start to teach young people at a young age, and I certainly do this with my kids, that give new things a go. It's actually a good way to learn and a good way to grow. Mm. Absolutely. No, I love that, that growth mindset piece, that it's, it's very important. And also, yeah, like you are always your harshest critic, but it is like in terms of you, you need to keep momentum moving forwards. And, and if you dwell too much on where things have gone wrong, you start to, I suppose, lose that momentum, which will open up the door to, to your next opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But thank you very much for jumping on and, and joining us on the Humans of Agriculture podcast. It's my pleasure, Ollie. Have a great day.